0: Thanks for tuning in to The Met Church Podcast. Here at The Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. This morning, we're continuing in our series that we'll wrap up next weekend where we're talking about the will of God for his kids to live in freedom. He came into the world to bring about freedom, and that's freedom in every area of your life experience. It is not the will of God for his kids to be in bondage to addiction, uh, to financial lack, uh, to a relationship drought. God desires for his people to experience and to enjoy real, genuine freedom. Well, how do you get there? How do you experience that? Well, in the Bible, it is replete with examples, principles, precepts that are taught to give us a pathway to experience this freedom. And one of the ways the Bible describes a pathway to this type of freedom, freedom and resources that enable you and I to be generous in our life is by using an analogy or a metaphor of agriculture. It's interesting, when you look in the Bible, the time the principles are used of sowing and reaping when it comes to investments, when it comes to resources, when it comes to how God has chosen to provide for us in each and every aspect of life. He uses agricultural principles. Now, agriculture is still a huge part of our nation. Uh, At the turn of the century until the 1950s, we were really an agricultural nation. In fact, 85% of the American workforce we're in the farms and working in agriculture. And that's changed somewhat. Uh, in the 50s, we became an industrial nation where 73% of the workforce in America went to work in manufacturing. And now today, because of advances in technology, we're considered a communication nation. But what has never changed is our reliance upon agriculture, we still need it. (laughs) Sadly, you ask the average child, where does these vegetables come from? And they'll say Kroger. (laughs) And they don't realize that they actually came from the farmer. And so the principles of agriculture are replete throughout the Bible. And I wanna talk about a few of them this morning. I hope I can encourage you. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible uh, in Isaiah 28 compares God to a farmer. It says God is at work producing something Uh, positive and something necessary in the life of his kids. And Isaiah specifically says, God is like the farmer. Another place when you look in the Bible, in James chapter five, verse seven, the Bible says after we've done everything we are to do, we are to have the patient expectation of the farmer. The idea is I do all that I can do, and then God will do all that only he can do but it's us working together. It's putting the feet to the prayer. It's saying, God, I am interdependent upon you. You and I make an unstoppable team. God, some things God will not do without me. I have to engage and I have to be a part of that process. And the principles of sowing and reaping are one of the principles that it requires a partnership with God for us to reap the benefit of freedom in the area of resources. Speaking of farmers, I heard about an no farmer whose wife got kicked in the head by his mule and died. And so she had been a very cantankerous woman. She had given this man all kinds of grief. They were known throughout all the farming community of just not being a couple that gets along with each other at all. Most people were amazed that they were able to stay together that long. She despised him in so many ways and really made the man's life miserable. So when his meal kicked her, they had a big funeral, and of course, as the custom in the country, everybody came out for the service. The old man sat there on the front at his wife's service, and the women would come by, whisper into his ear, and as they whispered into his ear, he would nod at what they they were saying. The men would come by and whisper something in his ear, and he'd shake his head the other way at whatever they were saying. He had a friend that was noticing what that was going on and what that meant, and he said to him after the funeral, he said, I noticed when all the women came by, you would nod your head in the affirmative and you'd say yes, yes, yes. And when the the men came by and said something to you, you'd say no, 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 what what was that about? He said, well, when the women came by, they all said, well, doesn't she look peaceful? And doesn't she look at rest? And I said, yes, 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 she does. And the men came by and said, hey, are you willing to sell me that mule? Said, no, I'm not selling that mule. I don't know, I just seem to fit. It's not really a part of the message. I thought it was funny. It's about a farmer. Sometimes I have to stretch them to get them in there, but I'll stretch one, brother. I'll stretch it. But the point is, the principles of uh, sowing and reaping are replete throughout the Bible. In fact, the text that I want to uh, point you to talks about this principle. In fact, there's a promise God gives in Genesis 8, where he says, while the earth remains, well, as long as there is an earth, seed time and harvest will not cease. God says the law of the harvest will be here as long as the earth uh, exists. Seed time and harvest, what does that mean? Planting and reaping. Meaning there's some things you sow into and the law of the harvest says, if you sow into these things, you are going to reap. And God said, this will not cease. And when you think about it, God made everything Everything he made in creation, he made it to produce. He designed it that way. In fact, in Genesis one, he said the seed is within itself, meaning God gave the ability to produce and reproduce with all that he created. You, you get more than one apple. In that one apple, you'll see the seeds of many apples. God's a generous God. With everything he's given us, he's given us the ability to grow it and have even more. If that were not the case, then every time we ran out of apples, God would have to come down from heaven and say, let there be apples, and we'd have to go through that again. So he placed a seed within it. The principle is God has placed everything on this earth so that it can multiply, so that it can grow, it can produce. In fact, in Matthew 21, 19, Jesus walked by one time a fig tree that didn't produce, And the Bible said he cursed the tree so that it would die. Now he didn't cuss it, he cursed it. (laughs) Meaning that he destined the tree for death because he said that tree was designed to produce. It's not producing, it's just taking up space around it. It has no uh, uh, good for anyone else, and so he allowed it to pass away. He allowed it to die. He said, I created the fig tree to produce figs so that people could enjoy its fruit. What's the point? The point Jesus was talking about was a principle of agriculture, and that is God has created things to produce, to reproduce. In fact, even in terms of a spiritual context in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul put it this way. I planted, Apollos came behind me to water, and God gave the increase. Another principle of the harvest. God said one man may pour into your life, one woman may pour into your life, someone else may come along and nurture that which that has been planted and poured into, and someone else may come along and see a harvest in your life. That's why I think when people come to Christ, invariably when they come to Christ in a service like this or watching online, they do so because in my estimation, somewhere, someone somewhere in their life prayed for them, probably uh, planted something seed in their mind and heart. It might be some little grandmother that's been in the heaven for 20 years that prayed that her grandchildren would join her in heaven one day. Somebody planted the seed, somebody came along and watered the seed, and God gave the harvest. It is the law of the harvest. It is a principle that is undeniable. It works every time it is tried. And notice with me our text in 2 Corinthians 9. I'm gonna point out three things about the harvest that I hope will help you wrap your mind around how God wants us to reap and sow. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse six, Paul writing, remember this. He said, I don't want this to escape your mind. A farmer, here we go again, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That makes sense. He said, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Why? For God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Uh, Another way you would understand that is he loves the person who gives willfully not because somebody pressured them, not because they were reluctant and they had to overcome their reluctance. The heart is, I want to be generous. I'm giving out of that type of heart. And then he said, here's the payoff in verse eight, God will generously provide all of you all that you need. Why? Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now let me get to the outline as I break these verses apart. Number one, I want you to consider this principle, the principle that is taught here. He says, a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. One who plants generously will get a generous crop. Well, we understand how that works. If you have investments or you have a 401k or you have a savings account, you know that the more you put into that, the, the greater the expect, expectation on the, on the return will be. The thing about your resources is if you stick them in the mattress or you hide them in the dirt, they don't grow. It will remain right where they are. In fact, with the buying power of the dollar shrinking, you're actually losing money when you're not getting your money to work for you. In fact, money is designed to work for you. It's why we call it currency. It's the idea that it's to move. It's like a current, it moves. And as it moves, it has the ability to grow. And so he's saying the principle of the harvest that works in your life and mine when it comes to resources is if we wanna have a larger return, we make the greater investment. A smaller return means we made the smaller investment. So this is the principle of the harvest. And I would point out two or three significant things about that. Number one, I believe he's teaching this principle, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, listen to the phrasing now, that, that which they've sown, will they also reap. The Bible there is what I call a locked-in law of likeness, a locked-in law of likeness that teaches the principle that whatever I want, I give away. It's that principle. Whatever I want, I give away. If I want my money to grow, I invest it in something that allows it to grow. Um, If I want a relationship to grow, I have to invest The Bible says in Proverbs 17, if you are going to have friends, and not everyone will, but they say, if you will have friends, you have to take the initiative. You must first show yourself to be friendly. So to have a relationship with someone, you have to make an investment in someone. Now, I'll be honest with you, you're gonna go through a lot of duds before you hit a good friendship, (laughs) but it's worth the effort. It's worth putting yourself out there to have a good friend in your life. And so I'm suggesting you that this locked in law of likeness, as law of the harvest says, the thing that I desire, the way I receive it, is I first give it. Try this when you leave in a little while. If you go to a restaurant, you go somewhere to eat, be kind to the waiter or the waitress. (laughs) Smile at them. You know what you'll get? Nine times out of 10, they'll respond in kind. If you wanna smile and you want somebody to be friendly to you, be friendly, take that initiative first. So I'm just saying it's a blow of the harvest. It's not rocket science, it's just a principle that if you want a little crop, you plant little. If you want a big crop, you plant. And this works in every phase of life. So number one, under this idea of a principle, you'll reap what you sow. Number two, you reap where you sow. Where you sow. I told you last week and it bears repeating again this weekend, you are a limited resource. You are, I am. There's only so much of me, I only have so much time. There's only so much of you, you only have so much time. We're burning the clock every day. The only thing about you and I that we cannot expand upon is the time that we're here. We're limited in that regard. That's why I think the most valuable asset you have is your time. (laughs) I told you about a friend of mine that told me one time, you know, he's my age, and he just said, man, I feel like we're at halftime now, halftime. I said, halftime, dude? How old are you? I'm 60-something. I said, how long do you think you're gonna live? I said, man, I don't want to just pop your balloon, bud, but you ain't gonna be around here in 120 years. Let me tell you where you are. You're deep into the fourth quarter sport. (laughs) Tick tock. I'm just saying, you have to be aware of where you are. You have to, as the Bible says, you redeem the time. You gotta get smart with your time. And the older we get, the more cautious we need to be with the time God's given us. That's why you have to establish priorities, how you spend your time. I can give you five biblical priorities if you're interested. Uh, Number one, you start with God. It's where the Bible starts, Genesis 1:1. in the beginning, God. Now when I say God as a priority, I don't mean God in relationship to your religion. I mean God in relationship to your relationship. You have God. He ought to be have the first thoughts of your day. He ought to have the first minutes of your day. You ought to begin every day with the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, Matthew five, and all the other things you need, I'll add to you. So putting first, God first. God, if you never go to another church, God first. You know Jesus as your savior, he's first. Make partner in your business with God. D.L. Moody said, if God is your business partner, make your plans big. He's a big partner, he won't betray you, he won't let you down, he'll be the best partner you've ever had, partner with him. In the beginning, God. Secondly, God placed Adam and Eve together in the garden. That says to me the priority of your relationship with your spouse. Your spouse ought to come right under your relationship with God is your marriage. Under that would be your children. Your children ought to have the priority of your life is so significant that you learn how to balance your busy life so that you make time for those kids. Uh, Number four, God told Adam, take care of this garden. I I would relate that to your work. Remember I said work was introduced before sin ever entered the picture. God said, take care of this place. Now, sin made work harder. it's thorns and thistles, the sweat of the brow and so forth, Genesis three. But Genesis two, before there was sin, he said, take care of this place. God's designed us to work. So my job is a priority, my kids are a priority, my spouse is a priority, my heavenly father is a priority. What's number five? God instituted the system of worship. He told them at the altar he would meet with them. So if I'm doing a correlation for how that would relate to us today, I would say your fifth priority ought to be your church. It ought to be the place where you are spiritually fed and where you spiritually receive instruction. And if you're a part of this ministry, if you're a part of this church, this would be a priority for you. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you come, thick or thin, rain or shine, good or bad, uh, you're here, because you're committed to this thing, you honor your priority. Now you could make six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whatever you wanna do, That you go crazy. But I'm just saying, you have to establish priority. And like Jim told our men's breakfast the other day, one of the principles we teach here, if you do not live according to the priorities you set, you'll live according to the pressure other people put on you. And people will pressure you if you aren't large and in charge of you, somebody else will be. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm gonna live according to priority, which means you're gonna have to say no to some things. You're gonna have to say no to some people. If that doesn't fit your top grid, you're gonna to say, man, I can't do, it. it's not that what you wanna do isn't great, it just doesn't, I can't do that. I don't have the time, I don't have the resources to do it. But live according to priority, why? You are a limited resource. There's only so much of you, you only have so much time. Here's the second thing about that. Not only are you a limited resource, you have limited resources. There's only so much you can do with what you have. God is not going to hold us to account for the things that we never had. He will only hold us to account for the things that we did have. He's not gonna hold me account for resources he never gave me. Boy, if I had a million dollars, well, he wants some, well, here's what I do if I had a million. Well, I do the same thing I do with that hundred. (laughs) The point is he will not hold me account for the million that I never had. He'll hold me account for the hundred that I did have. Does that make sense? So we're gonna be a given account for the things that he's given us. So since I have limited resources, I need to be generous in the area of my resources according to my priorities, okay? That means I'm gonna honor my family, I wanna be sure I'm taking care of them, that's my first priority, to make sure my family is well fed, make sure they're taken care of, and many of you understand that. I'm preaching to Noah about a flood right now, but I know you get this. Some of you held down two and three jobs at points in your life to make sure your family had everything you need. We have single parents in this room that work tirelessly to make sure their children have everything. I applaud you, I think that's amazing. You're living according to priority and I'm gonna tell you God will bless you For that, hang in there, hang in there. God sees you, he loves you, he'll take care of you. And then once you are saying, Lord, I'm honoring you, I'm taking care of my family, I'm working as hard as I know to do, my work is a way whereby I can be blessed, I wanna bless my church, I wanna give where I receive because you reap where you you sow, and I wanna sow into my church because it's feeding me. Now that's not an angle for me to get more people to give, it's a biblical principle that you sow into the place where you receive. It's like if you go to Chick-fil-A, you don't go across the street pay Sonic. <laughs> you, you kind of pay for where you eat. And so when I need a priority to know, well, where do I give my money? Well, I'd give my money, first of all, where I receive ministry. And then once I've done that, there's a lot of other things. There's CRC, there's, uh, there's veterans organizations. I told you about that freezing dog out in the cold. You might wanna help save that dog. I mean, all of those things come down the line after you have met that priority. But because you are a limited resource, because you have limited resources, you have to decide how that happens and how all that goes. Because the principle is if you'll sow, God will bless you in a way you'll always have something to give. Here's the second thought. Not only the principle, but notice the practice. This gets into the heart of what I was just saying. Verse seven, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Nobody can decide that for you. Nobody knows your situation. Nobody knows the pressure you're under. Nobody knows the bills you face. Nobody knows your financial reality but you. That's why Paul is using a lot of grace here. He's saying, You must make up your own mind. It's important that you do, but you may have to start small. You may not be able to give everything you want to give. You may have to start with a smaller amount, start small, start strategic. But you you, you just start somewhere. (laughs) Just say, this is not all that I wanna give, but this is all that I can give right now. So do what you can. You remember when Jesus sat next to the treasury and he watched people coming in who were wealthy, who gave large amounts of money. And most of them wanted you to know they were doing it and they just made the big splash with their giving. And then that poor little, little woman, remember? And she just dropped in two little, tiny mites. That's all she had. And Jesus looked at his uh, disciples and he says, this woman has given more than anyone else. And the disciples, it blew them away. They said, what? You mean, what do you mean? We've seen the amounts of money. Some of these people have dropped in there. And how, what are you do? He's saying, she gave out of her poverty. They gave out of their abundance. What's the point? The point is God sees our heart. He knows not only what we can do, he knows what we would do. Uh, the, the, there's a great principle in, ah, uh, I think it's First Samuel. If, if you really wanna know where this verse is, I, I'll look it up for you, email me. If not, Google this. <laughs> where God, God told David, I'll give you in the old King's English so it'd be easier to find. Thou didst well because it was in thy heart to build a, 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 a temple unto my name. Now let me, let me give the, that in the Texas version. God was saying to David, you never got to build the temple. But because it was in your heart to build the temple, I'm gonna bless what you desired to do as well as I'm gonna bless what you did do. In other words, Solomon built the temple. Many people think Solomon, David was kind of the architect working behind Solomon, giving him ideas. Hey, son, you ought to do this, 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 what, because Solomon's temple was magnificent. But you know what? David desired to build the temple. He got disqualified. He wasn't able to, so Solomon built it. But the point I don't want you to miss is God told David, it was in your heart. And because it was in your heart, you wanted to do that. I'm gonna bless what was in your heart to do. What's my point? God knows our heart. He knew that little widow woman wanted to give more than what she was, but that's all she could do. And God said, I know that little lady's heart. I'm gonna bless her and I'm gonna take care of her because she did what she could do. That's all this is. That's why he said, you have to make up your own mind. And look at the rest of this. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't let anybody pressure you into giving. Don't let anybody pressure you into giving your money or your time. Here's a principle, please don't forget this. This might be one of the more important things I'll tell you all morning. The devil will pressure you, God will lead you. How can I tell where this is coming from? God will lead you, he'll give you peace about it, he won't give you a sense of release to do it until the time is right, but when God is working, he will give you peace, he will lead you. You'll know, you'll know. I have told you before, when I've struggled with a decision, I knew what I needed to do, I didn't know when to do it, and I sought counsel, I'm praying about this, I'm seeking God every day, I know this is what I need to do, I don't know when I need to do it, and one morning, man, it wasn't a cacophony of angels or anything, I didn't hear a voice from heaven, but I woke up knowing it's time to do it. That's how it works. God will give you a sense that you'll just know, I don't mean to be all ethereal on you here, but I'm just saying you'll know. You'll, know, you'll just wake up knowing one day God will give you peace and you'll go, All right, not only do it. I know what I need to do now, I know I need to do it now. So, it, it, as you press into Him, uh, He will lead you. Now, how does the devil work? He pressures you. You feel pressure, and all of a sudden, you're making a decision you're not um, comfortable with. Have you ever made an impulse buy and you have buyer's remorse before you even get back to the car or the truck? Why did I do that? Why did I let them pressure me into doing it? And we use that term, right? They pressured me into doing it. I felt pressured to do this, so I bought it because I felt pressured to do it. You're gonna make a, look, you're gonna make a bad call if you let somebody pressure. If they pressure you into a relationship, if they pressure you in a relationship, you're gonna make a bad call. Wait until you feel led This is God's timing and this is his will for my life. That's exactly the principle that Paul was talking about here. God will look, he's saying, you make up your own mind. Don't do it reluctantly. And for God's sake, don't do it in response to pressure somebody puts on you. And here's why, God loves the person who gives cheerfully. He loves Man, when you say, man, this is what I want to do. This This is my choice, this is what God's led me to do. And I'm doing it because I wanna do it. I don't have to do it. I don't feel pressured to do it. God's not gonna dangle me out over hell until I do it. I just feel like this is what God is leading me to do. And he said, man, when you align it that way, you're going to find so much joy when you give that way. So that's the practice. And here's number three and we'll go home. Here's the promise. Verse eight, God will generously provide all you need. Now I didn't say God will provide all your greeds. (laughs) He said all your needs. Uh, that's where prosperity theology runs off in the ditch. What he said is, I'll provide what you need. You don't have a need. I don't have a need that God cannot meet. And so I'm suggesting to you that when we qualify, remember there there's 7,000 promises in the Bible that relate to resources, but with each promise, there's a premise. What is the premise of the promise? It's simply this, I'll do this, providing you do that. You will reap, providing that you sow. Sow little, reap little, sow more, reap more. So God is saying the law of the harvest will work. I'll give it to you another way. No farmer went out and looked at a field and got mad because the crops weren't coming in when he didn't plant. Now a farmer may look at a field and may not get all the crops that he planned, and they may not come back as healthy as he wanted. That's a different issue. But if he's planted into the field, there is a expectation that there'll be a harvest. It's the James 5, 7. It's the the patient expectation of the farmer that I've done everything I do to qualify, to qualify for this blessing. Um, Ecclesiastes 11.1, cast your bread upon the waters and after many days it will return. What does that mean? Well, Solomon was writing at a time when the Nile River would flood. And when the Nile River would flood, uh, as the waters began to recede, the marshy soil on the sides of, that, uh, of, of, the, of the Nile were great for farmers to go and cast seed. And what they would do is while before that began to dry in that river, rich river soil, they would get in boats and they would just go down the, the Nile and they would cast their seed out on that marshy land. And a, a matter of time, man, the, they're getting an abundant crop right on the sides of the Nile. So Solomon had that imagery in mind, and he said, look, cast your bread out there. In other words, sow, So, and as you sow, you have the patient expectation that you'll reap. It is a promise that God has given. It is the law of the harvest. What you'll do when you begin to get into this cycle of, of giving, you'll find, as Jesus said, Acts chapter 20 and verse 15, you'll find the joy that comes with it. He said it's more blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And you see that every time when you give a birthday gift or you give a Christmas time, you're always excited to give. Jesus didn't say it's not blessed to receive. He said if you like receiving, you're gonna love giving. And you know why, that every parent in the room knows what it's like. You love when they bring you something, you get your own gift, but have you noticed that moment that you get age or maturity where you enjoy seeing them unwrap what you've given to them more than you're interested in anything they could have given you? You love that experience with your kids or your grandkids. It's exciting to see their little eyes light up in their face. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus said, just as you love receiving, and there's nothing wrong with that. He said, you're gonna love being able to give. Why? We, We don't need money in heaven. We need it down here. We don't need resources in heaven. We need them down here. And so there's a way whereby we can manage the resources that we've been given. By the way, and I am done with this. There's nothing spiritual or unspiritual about money. Money is absolutely uh, amoral. It is not moral, it is not immoral. It's what you do with it. The most misquoted verse when it comes to resources is this one, the love of money is the root of all evil. People say money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, Love of meaning that what I'm willing to do to get it, who I'm willing to run over to get it, what am I willing to do to get money? money is my God. And the love of money, God said, that is the heart of everything that is wrong in the world. That's why the spirit of the world is get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid, and spoil the rest. The spirit of the world is not to rejoice when your brother is blessed or your sister is blessed, but to have resentment. You ever have that experience in your life? Maybe you get something new and you share with some. Hey, we just moved into our new house. And you ever ever go? Well, I'm glad that's hacked. Somebody has some good news. Wah, wah, wah. You buy that new car and they go, well, I'm glad somebody has a new car. Mine's held together with duct tape and chicken wire. And you know, wonk, wonk, wonk. And It's just like, you know, just Debbie Downer. You know, you're like, I'm looking for somebody that could be, ha- can anybody be happy for me right now? And I always wanna tell them, I didn't just buy the last house. There are houses out there. There are people in this room help you find a house. <laughs> they can get you a house. By the way, that ain't the last car. You can get you a car. We got people in here who hook you up with a car. You know, I'm just saying that if you're not careful, that attitude toward money will cloud everything about you. You'll become resentful and bitter. And I've never seen anybody who had that attitude have any more money either. I really hadn't. I mean, I've never seen anybody that had that. However, I've seen generous people who are generous with their love, time, forgiveness, and resources, I've seen them blessed to abundance. And folks, I gotta tell you, that's the kind of church I want our church to continue to be. We're a generous church, we have generous people. And I pray, one of my prayers for you guys every day is that God would just bless you, bless your businesses and bless you as the scripture says, as you go out and as you come in. I hate to see anybody walking through hard, heavy times. I've been there, I know what that is. Many of you know what that is. And man, that's why as a church, if we can come alongside somebody and we can say, look, we can lift that grocery bill off your shoulders, man, our CRC is set up to where we can help you through the hardest experience of your life and help you get back on your feet. I mean, that helping people when they're hurting is what we're to be about. So I get it. And I'm just telling you, man, these times are are hard, but they don't last. You can get through it, you can get beyond it, and God wants to grow you in the middle of it. So I can tell you this morning, the law of the harvest will work. Start small, start strategic, but just start and see if God will not, as he said in Malachi 3, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't have room to receive. That's what I pray for you. Let's close. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that it never returns void. As you said in Isaiah, it always accomplishes purpose. And so Father, I pray your word will take lodging in our heart, a seed that has been sown. I pray, Father, we'll consider it, meditate on it, think about it, pray about it, and do whatever you're leading us to do with it. I pray for businesses in this room, for business people in this room. Some of them are going through some hard seasons right now. Father, would you let them know and give them the assurance in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit that there's nothing you cannot handle. There's not a place in the Bible where you ever said, you're asking too much of me, go easy on me. In fact, fact, you said, open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. The Bible says, you ask me and I can prepare the table in the wilderness. There's nothing you said too hard for you. So I pray for my friends this morning. Some are struggling in business and some are struggling with resources and lift that burden from them. Let them know, Father, you hear them, you know where they are, you're gonna meet their need. You have never failed and you will not fail now. I pray, Father, they'll walk in obedience with you and faithfulness to you and see the windows of heaven opened into their life and into their business. And Father, I pray for our church. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we get to minister to people. My weekend, so many incredible things that you're doing in the life of our church. Thank you for the CRC and all that it is doing and all that we pray that we'll continue to do as we see that incredible charity continue to grow, affecting thousands of lives. Father, keep your hand on this place. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment where they humble their heart and they pray a simple prayer like this and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart this moment. Forgive my sin. With everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. And I praise you and thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. And Father, we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.